course, like every other teenage kid, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. When I was 16 years old, I took off and drove across the country to Wyoming, went into the Wind River Range and discovered mountains. In 1973, Yvonne Chouinard founded Patagonia. I never wanted to be a businessman. All I wanted to do was do my craft and climb mountains. So then I had to figure out a way to where I was going to be a businessman, but I was going to do it completely on my own terms. Build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. Join us at Patagonia.com. You're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a production of Duct Tape Thin Beer, with additional support from REI, Fireside Provisions, and Kuat Racks. What did your life look like then? What was it that you were going for in your 20s and early 30s? Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I always got bitten by the outdoors and climbing like super hard when I was young and and it was maybe borderline obsessive on a certain level and a lot of my friendships were based around that and the way that kind of worked was like you try to figure out how much time you could spend climbing and work the least amount you know like that was the goal for a lot of the people I knew and even though I loved it and I ran in that community, that was never my thing. It's like I was super passionate about trying to have a career, trying to write, try to tell stories. I cared about that, and it didn't necessarily need to even be in like the outdoor realm. I would have written for like a trade publication about Excel spreadsheets if you'd given me the opportunity at 23. Really? Excel spreadsheets? I wanted stability. I wanted a job, and it didn't really work for me that way. Like, I sort of had my career altered by the fact that I fell in love with this outdoor community and culture and way of life. And pretty soon, you know, after a few years of doing that, when you go to back to apply for a job in writing and you've written about first ascents and powder days for a bunch of random magazines, people don't really take you seriously you know, in the nine to five world, they're like, who are you? You live out of the back of your truck. Your address is at your grandparents and you can't get those jobs. And it was always a struggle to figure out how to get legitimacy, you know, like I was a legitimate dirt bag, but like going into that working world, it was hard. What is it that you like about Katie's story? I mean, I think for me, the, the story we're working on today, it's like, this is, this is great. I found this story to be so familiar and yet very different because for me, it would never have been hard to get like a, a job guiding or finding seasonal work. Like I could have done that forever and that wouldn't have been a stretch. Like that kind of role, that dirtbag lifestyle, I could always drop into that if I wanted. And it's funny to think of it being difficult to achieve for me. And you, I mean, granted, she didn't have exactly the job that you were going after, but essentially what she had in terms of financial stability, a consistent job, and then time to play outside in a beautiful space and being taken seriously in a professional world, 
Does that feel like what you were going for in a sense? Yeah. A hundred percent. She had, when she was at 30, what exactly I wanted and could not get when I was 30 years old. And what I like about Katie's story is that it makes you realize that whatever direction you're heading, like whether you're trying to turn these experiences you have in the outdoors into, into something that you feel like has deeper meaning or whether you're trying to have a more meaningful life by having more experiences in the outdoors, those are two different directions you're heading in, and they're both hard. They both have their battles. Do you think that there's any overlap in what you have to do to get to either of those two places? Like whether you're trying to be more of a dirt bag or less of a dirt bag, do you think there's some similarity in what it takes to get there? Um, I mean, jokingly, I'd say the name of the game is like idiotic persistence. But it, it's more than that. I mean, it is... When you have to step out of your comfort zone or kind of like the world you're in and you want to make a change or evolve into something new, it's going to hurt. As kids, we get like growing pains in our knees. Like I watched that with Tep and there's a cost to growing. It will never be easy. And to get through that change, like and to evolve into a new person, it's going to require this persistence and a certain level of dogged commitment, which is at times laughable. And definitely, like, I look back and kind of sigh. Probably awkward is another word for it. But that's okay. Like, that's what it takes. Today we bring you Start Saying Yes, a story about a journey to the far reaches of our planet and about what it takes to see the person you want to be and then become that person. I'm Jen Alchel, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Do you want to start with where you were in, was it, what was it, December of mm-hmm. 2014? Yep. That's not that long ago. It's not. Really. <laughs> what was your life like? Where? What? Um, it was fine. <laughs> it was just perfectly fine. I was living in the home that I had owned for seven years, and I was working a job as a recruiter for online advertising companies. Which, if you want a soul to be squashed, that's a pretty good way to go. (laughs) It was a telephone sales job, essentially. It's a neat job if you're okay with being in an office Monday through Friday. You know, I would recreate every day. I would go for a hike or go biking or go windsurfing. And I vacationed a lot. Our vacation policy was unlimited, so I seized it. The first time I went to Antarctica was as a tourist. This soul-crushing job was actually an okay financial job, so I was in a position where I was out of debt, I was turning 30, I wanted to go into my 30s on a new chapter, and at that point, that something new was just going to be starting that decade in Antarctica, which had been a place that had been on my mind for a long time, just because, what is it? What's on Mars? What's on Antarctica? What's down there? I don't know. Let's go find out. 
It's an expensive trip, so a lot of the people who do it are mostly older and well-established in their lives and probably retired because it's a three-week trip. And looking at the skill set of the passengers versus the staff members, I hate to say it, but it was really obvious that one group, the passengers, had been catered to their whole lives and that the other group, the staff, had built their lives. And I saw the staff as it seemed like the company went around to every country in the world and picked out the most competent and charismatic person and put them on the ship. And they were just these incredibly impressive humans. And I thought that was really cool. And that's who I wanted to be like. That's who like my superwoman equivalent was. <laughs> I think it was weird for me to be in that environment because I hadn't been on any guided trips ever, so I was not used to being a client. And beyond that, I was not used to being a client with that demographic. And just seeing that if I stayed on this path in my life, that's where I was going to end up. that trip as a tourist I came back here and at first I was really grateful for my job because it afforded me the privilege to be able to go down there in time and in money and then I got really antsy. It was at first just a little bit of discontent of eh, this life that I'm living in right now doesn't totally coincide with where I want to be in 10 years and then it was it was so instantaneous. It was over probably two weeks. I went from pretty fine. I have to say fine with air quotes and an eye roll because it's that kind of fine. <laughs> um, so I went from fine to I'm out. Um, I just needed a life restart. One Ocean Expeditions is an expedition cruise company. Uh, we have a, a passion for the polar regions that we share with our passengers. I decided I was out and I wanted to go back to Antarctica. If Katie wanted to restart her life, to become less like one of those tourists and more like the superwoman equivalent of herself, what better way to do so than to literally go back to Antarctica and become one of those people? I looked up every person who was listed on every ship and found their name and emailed that person. And if I couldn't find their actual email, then I guessed their email until I didn't get a bounce back email. So if I found that Bob Smith was a naturalist on Antarctic travel expeditions, I emailed bob.smith at antarctictravelexpeditions.com. And then if that bounced back, I emailed smith.bob at antarctictravelexpeditions.com. So I went for quantity, not quality, <laughs> and just emailed every person who I could find who was associated with tourism in Antarctica. And for the most part, people ignored me, which in retrospect seems totally fair. I had no contributable skill set. I think people saw me as a liability, even coming from office life. Most people didn't write her back. A few people wrote her back to tell her no. One person even wrote her back to tell her, not only will I not hire you, I would never hire anyone like you. 
the challenge for me was that I was coming from 10 years of working in front of a computer. You know, the base jobs are mechanic jobs, they're support staff, they're doing real things with real skills with your hands, making a community function in a very inhospitable environment. And I can do marketing, you know, I can write a poster, (laughs) I can do a fundraising campaign. Um, So I felt like my skill set was not translating at all. And it also made me feel really unskilled just in life. Like if it were zombie apocalypse time, I would write the flyer. (laughs) I realized that nobody was going to hire me. It was too late in the season. I was too underskilled. I I wasn't even underskilled. I had no contributable skill. And it just wasn't going to happen this year. So on Monday, I decided that in a week, I would put in my notice and move to Idaho and become skilled. I don't know, because skilled people live in Idaho, (laughs) like rugged, skilled, competent people. And it was just going to be a good place to restart my life. And then two days later, I got the Antarctica offer. A ship needed a bartender. So I had told him, I don't know how to bartend, but I really want to do this. And then we lost cell service. And while we were disconnected, I called my friend who owns a bar in town. And I said, if you can let me intern with you for a month, I have a job in Antarctica. And he just said yes. And so I called the guy back and I said, I already have my internship lined up. I'm ready to go. I never wanted to bartend, (laughs) but that was my foot in the door. So I got the job and then I quit my job, (laughs) my other real job, and that was a funny phone call. I remember calling the president of the company and saying, thank you immensely for all of this, and I got a job in Antarctica. And it was about a 12-second phone call. You can't really counter that with anything. You can't, you just can't argue someone out of Antarctica. (laughs) It's happening. So I urgently went in to sell my home and learn how to bartend. And suddenly my life became learning how to pour a martini, putting my house flyers everywhere I could, and moving into a storage unit, (laughs) figuring out who would watch my dog for two and a half months, planning an end of an era party where I actually had a panic attack and passed out at my own end of the era party. (laughs) For real? Yeah. Um, I think it was just I I hadn't considered how stressful it was, really. It was just kind of happening, and every day would start and end. And then one day it was like, whoa, (laughs) this is real. (laughs) (laughs) Funk. (laughs) (laughs) So my home sold on the same day I got on a plane to South America to go work in Antarctica for two and a half months. How'd it go? The job. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it turned out I was as unskilled as I thought I was. <laughs> um, it was really hard. It was a new and stressful environment, period. Then I was learning how to bartend and with a new team of people, and I wasn't sure who had my back and who was there to make it harder than it needed to be. And just and then on the last trip of the season, so week eight on the ship. It all just kind of clicked, and we had a good team. And I remember thinking, if this is what it could be, then I'm in. I'm super in. 
through all of this, it became apparent that I really was not that good at the bartending thing. I remember one time the hotel manager was folding the end of trip receipts for 100 passengers and they were laid out in order on the countertop. And I walked over with two water jugs and I, I guess I didn't stop in time or maybe the ship moved awkwardly and I just walked right into the counter and spilled water all over his receipts. <laughs> I mean, I was just incompetent, <laughs> but I didn't want to develop the ability to pour a martini. <laughs> I wanted the ability to tie knots and anchor a boat and go on a crane over the side of a 400 foot Russian ship into the ocean and know which penguin is which and why they hatch this time of year and how that stuff all works. And I wasn't developing those skills as a bartender. So basically I, I got in touch with the owner of the company and said, I'd really like to come back, but in this other role. And he either had such bad feedback about my bartending <laughs> or he could hear the desperation in my voice. But for, for whatever reason, he put me into the guide position the next season, which was in the Arctic and in Svalbard. Katie had the guiding job lined out in the Arctic, but the tourist seasons in both the Arctic and Antarctica are fairly short, around six and eight weeks respectively. As part of her life redesign, Katie took full advantage of the gaps between her work stints to find other ways to narrow the gap between her and her superwoman alter ego. She built a bed in her Toyota Matrix and started adventuring. She went fishing. She took her first lesson at a flight school. She learned to ski. And I made it almost a job. Even if it was bad weather, I'd go up so I could know how to ski in bad weather. Then she skied Mount St. Helens, Mount Hood, and Mount Adams. She drove to Alaska. She went on adventures with friends. She went on adventures with her friends' friends. I met somebody in a grocery store and we adventured for a week together. Um, it was just saying yes to everything. She learned how to whitewater kayak. Then she took a Tinder match up on his offer to join him on a river trip down the Grand Canyon. Sure enough, Tinder got me to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Anyways, I hadn't met the guy and he asked me if I wanted to go on this 21 day trip. I said yes, because you don't say no to that kind of opportunity. And then I asked all my friends, how do you poop on a 21-day raft trip? If he is creepy, will I die? What's the contingency here? How does this work? I didn't know how to row a boat. I was just getting into whitewater kayaking and was pretty sure that all whitewater was always going to kill me. So I was not sure if I would die by whitewater or die by murderous, mysterious humans, or, you know, which method of death would come to me. And it was great. <laughs> or, or something. <laughs> but it wasn't love. It was not love. It was not love by any means. Katie also dove deeper into her photography. She reached out to coffee shops and breweries through the Northwest and wound up with her work hung on walls for the next year. She started talking to classrooms of students. She took a 10-day trip to Iceland. She took a Wilderness First Responder certification, a Level 1 Avalanche course, an STCW shipboard firefighting course. I think the moral of that class was don't start a fire on a ship. <laughs> I kind of identified these areas that I felt really unskilled. Like, I didn't feel like I had mountain competencies. I didn't feel like I had river competencies. I always leaned on my friends, who I always felt were more outdoorsy than me. And I just wanted to immerse myself in those areas so that I could develop that skill set.
Four months after Katie returned from her bartending gig in Antarctica, she flew to the Arctic for her first season as a guide. It was great. It was like the internship that everyone wants to have. I would have paid money to have that internship, but by some mistake, they were paying me. (laughs) Katie gained hard skills, driving and anchoring boats, tying knots, identifying wildlife, and also soft skills like how to salvage the experience of a guest who paid a lot of money to come on a cruise, but who's frozen to the core, standing in an inflatable boat in the Arctic Ocean, getting pummeled by wind and rain. I was becoming the person who I intended to become, or who I thought maybe I'd be able to become that person, but I don't know, it seems pretty hard. (laughs) But then it started to work. So I closed out last year in Antarctica for my second season working, my first season guiding down there. And I've still failed miserably multiple times in many areas, but also I would have these moments of this is the right track. You're in the right spot. You're doing life the way that you should be doing it. The highlight of my season last year was my mom and dad came down to visit and that was really cool. It's It's such a hard world to share with anybody unless you've been there. It's hard to share the scale of Antarctica. It was going to be the first chance the passengers had to actually get off the boat and walk around the continent of Antarctica. Everyone was on deck, excited, peering over the rail. The crane began to lower the boats that would take them to shore over the rail of the ship and into the ocean. And as we were putting them down, the wind kept picking up, and it's prone to do that but it kept picking up and then it became really, really windy very quickly. So I was the fourth boat over the rail and after I went into the ocean, they put boat operations on hold. My mom and dad were on the rail and this is, you know, my mom and dad have a boat here and I've always been the passenger on their boat and my dad is used to me being the happy-go-lucky little daughter who, you know, sits on the boat but can't contribute to getting the boat around. And suddenly they see me in the water on really rough swells. And we're in little inflatable boats. And one of my coworkers' boats was getting loaded down with water. And it was just scary and visibly scary. The expedition leader called off the excursion. The crane carefully plucked the boats back out of the ocean. And all of the guides were quickly ushered into a staff meeting. And that whole process took probably an hour or so. And then once we were done, I walked back through the passenger gear room and my mom and dad had been waiting there that whole time. And they came over to me and my dad, who's always very stoic and just calm, he came over and gave me a hug. And then when we pulled apart, he was crying. (laughs) And I think for him, it was this moment of, oh, this is what my daughter does now. And she's got it or you know she got it that time but she's a little more competent this is what i like to think he was thinking maybe she's a little more competent than she was before so the next time i would have had work would have been a year later in antarctica and i just needed something to do between then and then. (laughs) So I just put the word out about looking for cool jobs. And 
and I put it everywhere. I put it on my email signature. I put it on my bios and the photo shows in coffee houses and restaurants. I started to apply again to some of the same companies that I had applied to a year earlier, and I had almost a 100% response rate. So people who had ignored me before, they wrote me back and wanted to set up a phone interview. Suddenly I could get responses and I had a skill set to contribute and I didn't feel like I was begging for a job anymore. Rather, I was saying, hey, here's my skill set. Does it fit into your business? That was really cool. The head of operations from one of the companies that Katie got a phone call back from invited her to a week-long training and interview in Colorado. So I went out there and was just really blown away by the caliber of people who were there. And they had all been guides or scientists or naturalists for, you know, some of them 10 to 20 years. And I was in the room like, cool, I can fix your coffee machine. (laughs) I've seen some penguins, but I just felt really underqualified in that room of people. So I came back cautiously optimistic, but, you know, not too sure what would happen. And then I got an email saying, hey, you're in. And not only that, but they're sending me to Greenland. Greenland, Um, which is just like, it's beyond Mars to me. It's like the, I I don't know. I never thought I'd be able to work in Greenland. And um, that's where I'm heading in a month and a half now. I'll be a naturalist and expedition leader. So I'm studying every day. (laughs) I read for an hour to four hours to try to figure out what is in Greenland and how this planet does work. So I'll be trying something new and pretending like I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Two and a half years ago, did you ever imagine that you would be working in Greenland? No. (laughs) I thought... I'd be lucky if I was living this life when I was 40, but this came to me eight years earlier. What do you think made this happen for you? Like, if someone else wants to make that drastic of a life redesign in three years, what advice do you have? I think there's a mix of commit fully. Like, I I really think... To start all of this, when I look back at it, I had to be at peace with restarting my life in Idaho slowly and in a really unsure way before Antarctica ever came into the picture. So commit fully, see what happens. I didn't have expectations at the time. I just knew I needed a life redesign. Let's go. Let's write all of the people. Let's try all the new things. Let's see what happens. And then I guess there's something about a rut in here. For me, I didn't necessarily realize I was in a rut in my old job, in my old life, because it was a very admirable life. You know, it was a job that people were asking me, what are you doing? It looks like you're doing this and that cool thing. And I could tell people were admiring that life, but it wasn't my life and it It wasn't necessarily a rut-rut. It didn't feel like a bad place to be. It just felt like once I stepped out of that path, the things I've been able to do have been huge. You could argue I'm playing. um, You could argue whatever you wanted to argue. I don't care. For me, it's been just a huge immersion in learning new skills, trying new things. And I feel like now if the zombie apocalypse were to happen, I'd have something to contribute. (laughs) 
<laughs> beyond the flyer. <laughs> The Diaries is made possible by the good people at Patagonia, makers of the world's first neoprene-free wetsuits. Patagonia's Ulux wetsuits use renewable natural rubber harvested from trees grown in the highlands of Guatemala, reducing carbon emissions by up to 80% compared to standard neoprene. Learn more at patagonia.com. Additional support comes from REI, Fireside Provisions, and from Kuat Racks, makers of innovative hitch racks, roof racks, and accessories for cyclists and adventurers. Check out their lineup at kuatracks.com. As always, you keep the diaries thriving. We've said it before, but really, it's like our new little toy. After nine years of recording from our respective closets, we can now record the diaries at our office in a closet-like sound booth. Thank you so much to everyone who contributed. If you'd like to pledge your support, go to dirtbagdiaries.com and look for the button in the upper right-hand corner. A huge thank you to Katie for sharing her story. A few days ago, Katie got on a plane to Greenland. She'll be back in a couple of months, and her email signature still says, looking for rad work in remote parts of the world. Drop her a line. Music today from John Barry, ADC Bicycle, Publish the Quest, The Effed Up Beat, David Mumford, and Fog Lake. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive and with permission from the artists themselves. As always, you can find links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Jen Ultchel, Fitz Cahal, and me, Becca Cahal. You've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. I'm just going to pull it, hold the gun tight to yeah, your shoulder, okay? Greenland.